Talmor, Sheshin Mugachi. Talmor is my home. My family have worked the land for generations. My grand says the island does not belong to us, but we belong to the island. And we must be ready for a great evil is coming. And death follows with it. Listen and subscribe to the latest season of Undertow, The Harrowing, a Storyglass production presented by Realm, available wherever you get your podcasts. Scott Sigler Slices is a fiction podcast with stories harvested from the mind of a number one New York Times bestselling author. The current season is Slay, a raunchy, monster-killing tale that's Breaking Bad meets Buffy meets John Wick. Find Scott Sigler Slices wherever you listen to podcasts. Realm presents Adegas Media Production, The Dark Tome, Season 1, Episode 3, featuring Breathe My Name by Christopher Golden. Do you see her? Yeah, I heard she got suspended. She and Kathy Skillings got into it? Yeah, Kathy's gonna beat the crap out of her. (laughs) Hey! Hey, Kathy says she's coming back for you. Hey, you listening to me? You blacked out her eye and Mitchie Freeman dumped her. She is pissed at you. I don't care. Hey, you better keep an eye out. Kathy's coming for you, and you know what? She won't be alone. Don't just walk away from me. Hey, Cassie. Yeah? Come in here for a minute. Oh, hey, Mr. Carter. Get to class, Greta. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have to do that. I don't want you getting into a fight on your first day back to classes. Don't worry about me. But I do, Cassie. Have a seat. Mrs. Fowler gave me this essay you wrote for her. It was, uh, (laughs) to say the least, interesting. It was supposed to be a narrative of the time you spent doing community service work and what you learned. Yeah? (laughs) The first time I traveled, I traveled alone. I was guided to hell by a man who murdered his cousin, and I came back with a bird that sang when people told it lies. That's what happened. Look, Assie, I okayed you reading to Mr. Gussie because I was excited to see you interested in anything, quite frankly. But I'm beginning to think that was a mistake. Mr. Gussie is a uh, uh, strange man. I'm worried he's filling your head with strange ideas. Wait, you're worried about me and Mr. Gussie? Children who spend time with him, well, things happen. The kinds of things you talk about in this story. Now, there's a history. You see, when I was a student here, there was a kid I knew who started visiting him a lot, and soon he was talking about these crazy things. Mr. Gussie is the one person who treats me like a normal person. Uh, Cassie, don't raise your voice. You're trying to take away my friend. No, I'm trying to help you. You don't know Mr. Gussie. Are we done here, Mr. Carter? I have to get to class. That's what I thought. No, wait. Hey, Cassie! Oh. Uh, just can't catch a break. Hey, you! Bookhead! Hey, watch it! I told you not to walk away from me. Look, leave me alone, okay? I You should have changed schools, bitch. <laughs> Come on, Greta. Get the scissors. <laughs> Look, we had it out. What the hell else do you want? Payback. Hey, cut me a good chunk, Kathy. I want to see if it stays curly after it's off her. You know, I got kicked off the lacrosse team. I might lose my scholarship because of you. Good. It's about time your flapping mouth bit you in the butt. Oh. <laughs> Shut her up, Kathy. Ugh. Ooh. Oh. That's a nice souvenir. <laughs> How about another? Uh, you, you cut me. I'll cut you some more. What do you think, Greta? I wanted to remember this. <laughs> yeah, give her a little slice where no one will see it. Uh, let go of me. Let go. You shouldn't have got me suspended, bitch. You shouldn't have... <laughs> What are you doing? Namarat Danath Karatak! Hey! What the hell? Namarat Daralash Marakunadath Daluth Karatak! Kathy, holy crap! Oh my god, your skin! Oh my god, it's just pimples are 
it burns! Hold on to that hair, Greta. You'll need some now. Don't touch me, you freak! What the hell did you do? Oh my god! I've learned a few tricks. Swim all the way down here? Storm came up all of a sudden. Yeah. How was school? Great. Glad to be back. Good. You need to keep uh, focus, you know. You're in your last few months as a senior. Don't want to spoil it now. Of course not. Well, all right. Oh, before you come over, lock the door and spin the sign round to closed. Yeah, of course. Hey. Mr. Gussie? Uh, yeah? I... My guidance counselor, uh, he was starting to tell me something. Uh, what's that? Never mind. Nothing. Hey, say, I, I've been doing a little more research on the tome. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I think maybe there's a way to sort of, I don't know, steer it a little. Like, think of a magic eight ball. Okay... Now, it's just a little ball with a doohickey in it. Spins around when you shake it up, right? Right. Except it's magic. But what makes it magic, exactly? It's thinking something. It's about asking it a question. So what? You think the dark tone will respond if we ask it a question? Uh, in a manner of speaking, yes. Or at least it's worth a shot. What do you think? Sure, why not? That's a spirit? Okay, we learned last time that I can kind of call up the book if I have you along as a helper. So let's take a stab at it, if you don't mind. Sure, let's get started. Okay, here goes. Now clear your mind, focus on the book, lay your palms flat on the table. Feel the cold wood there. You feel it? Yeah. Good. The dark tome is like a little space heater. It warms up everything it touches. It's listening, I think. So I'm going to speak to it. Hey, Mr. Tome, we're looking for a story again. We met a lot of demons and we've been to hell, but what we're really trying to learn about is if there's any way to find people who, who've been to the other side, okay? Is that what we're doing? Just now. That's the question I got for you, Tome. Can we summon anyone back from beyond? Because I got a couple of people I'd sure like to summon. Well, uh, it doesn't seem like anything's changed. I mean, we're still, uh, uh... In the bookshop? I don't think so. Oh, I guess you're right. It's sure dark in here. Can't see much of anything. Over there, there's a light coming our way. Oh, hell. I think that's a headlamp that miners wear. That means we're underground, Cassie. What? Look, look. Now you can see, it's a coal mine shaft. What? Over there, there's a pile of rubble. And down there, someone's coming. You... you think we're... we're under... And the dark tome's missing, too. What? Yeah, we're stuck here. <laughs> in, uh... Oh, there's something chiseled in the wall here. What? Breathe My Name by Christopher Golden. All right. Well... There we have it. Mr. Gussie, it's dark down here. I didn't exactly sign up for... We should have been crushed. All of us. <sighs> it would have been better if the mine had collapsed on top of us all and crushed us under tons of stone and earth and coal. Better that by far. Dying a little bit with every breath of poison air. Better than seeing the fear in the faces of the guys, the guys I've looked up to my whole life. 
better than seeing the desperation in my pa's eyes. <laughs> hey, hold on, young fella. Calm down. You shouldn't be here. There's not much oxygen left. You're sucking some of our air. Are we? I, uh, uh, this is complicated. We're here to hear your story, I think. My story? You want? <laughs> Trapped under the earth, only hours to live, and you want to hear a story? Oh, that's rich. That's rich. <sighs> okay. I'll tell you. We only have time, right? And I... I might never get back to see Jake again. I should tell somebody. All right. Well, go on. My name is Tommy Betts. And I'm a coal miner. Just like my pa, and his pa before him, and his before, and so on. When I was young, I used to tell my pa that he should watch out. That if he dug too deep, he might break through right onto hell. We went to church every Sunday back then. And I was sure scared of hell. <sighs> For good reason. Well. And demons. I was sure when I saw my pa and his buddies come up from the caves caked in black dust and spitting black paint in their saliva. I was sure they'd find demons down there too. I told myself I'd never be a miner. I find something else to do with my life. Then I was 16 and the next thing you know, I was down here in Shaft 39. And it was a worse kind of hell than anything I had learned about in church. Even the bravest men experience claustrophobia down here. In the deep underground with walls pressing in and the weight of a mountain hanging above you. The slightest tremor might be the end of days. Two miles into the heart of a mountain. And you might as well be floating in space. It's a special kind of damnation. Being a miner, no matter how careful you are, once you go down deep, you're on your own. Rick Nielsen used to put it like this. <laughs> Tommy, being a miner is like playing Russian roulette every day for the rest of your life. Now, any morning you might wake up and you found the chamber with the bullet. Without warning. Don't scare the boy, Rick. Oh, come on, Al. You know it better than anyone. Sooner or later, your card might be up. <laughs> well, for me and my pa, Al, and for Rick Nielsen, Jerry Toland, Rob McElveen, Randy Vizialowski, and a dozen other guys, our card played on the 10th of April. It was raining that morning. Yesterday, I think it was, or was it the day before? Uh, but you know, we didn't care that it was raining. Underground, it don't matter what the weather's like outside. In fact, the crappier the day, the better. It's the beautiful days you wish you could be home with your wife, tossing ball with your boy, doing a little barbecue. My boy Jake, he's just five, but sometimes I let him flip the burgers. On stormy days, well, I don't mind so much. So on that morning, we waited for Randy to show up. My guy was always late and almost always hung over when he did show. But Hanson, the shift super, he wouldn't let us go down until the whole shift arrived. We were supposed to be there by 7.30, right? Well, it courted eight, just when Hanson was about to let us go down and dock Vizialowski for the day. The guy pulls into the lot. Sorry, I'm late, guys! Standing in the rain waiting for that a-hole. I'm in no hurry to get down there. That's not the point, kid. Wasn't much to say to that. Wasn't ever any arguing with the old man. Even his eyes seemed chiseled out of stone, made of the same stuff we were digging into. He had a scar on his left temple from a fight years back when one of his crew had gone stir-crazy down in the mine. My pa was the one who was finally able to subdue the head case, not before the guy tried bashing his skull in. That was my pa. Not the kind of man to start something, but the kind to put an end to it. 
An October morning in a quiet suburb in a town in Scotland. A man is walking his dog when suddenly shots are fired from a car. The man falls to the ground and the car speeds off. An ordinary residential area, but extraordinary things happen in ordinary places. The instinct right away was it was a political thing. We're talking about Russian trained, high ranking officer in the Secret Service. An assassin comes to town, a six part podcast. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein. Erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I study the secrets of the divine plagues and uncover the blasphemous truth that ours is not a loving God and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwein, wherever podcasts are available. <coughs> all right, all right, listen up. Lizzie <coughs> Lowski, you paying attention? Uh, yeah. Sorry, boss. You know, this is the last time you're late, Randy. I'm saying this in front of everyone so nobody can complain you weren't warned. Every time you're late, you cost us money. You're all going down 25 minutes later than scheduled. <clears throat> Multiply that by 18, and you're looking at seven and a half hours of accumulated time. What? So the next time you're late, Vizielowski, I'm docking you, and only you. <laughs> For the total accumulated time, you've delayed the entire crew. Yeah, and if there's a time after that, you'll be fired. You understand? Sure do. Good. Now get on that damn man trip. The man trip was a cable car that lowered us into the mine and drew us back up again later. Only when we were down into the ground with the lights flickering around us and the man trip's wheels squeaking on the metal rails did the miners start to grumble. Oh, man. Freaking Hanson. I docked you seven and a half hours. <laughs> but he's back at his desk already, drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. Guy's never worked a real day in his life. Mm -hmm. Never had coal dust under his fingers. Ain't that right, Tommy? <laughs> you think he deserved it, that right? Maybe. The guy's a slacker and a drunk, but you know, he can dig some coal. What'd you do this weekend, Tommy? I'm building a tree fort for Jake. Ain't much of a carpenter, but it's coming out all right. Took Melissa out to dinner Saturday night at that new place, uh, Evergreen. Evergreen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no place to go for beers, but if you want to make the wife happy, bring her there. Sure. Expensive? <laughs> Not like you'd think. Shoot. They know nobody around here can afford expensive. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last of the banter. The deeper you went, the quieter we got. It often lasted well into the first hour after work began until we became acclimated again. Some people might think it was fear that made us quiet, but I thought it was more like respect. When you work this deep in the ground, you gotta give the mountain its due. Hey, hey, you smell something? No? You're just paranoid, Jerry. I swear I smell something. I got nothing. Probably just me. Malcavine and I found that methane leak on Friday while we were drilling a bolt hole in the roof. Patched it up ourselves, so I'm not worried about that. But it's got me on edge. I'm never not on edge. My dad always told me paranoia can save a miner's life. We were deep in shaft 39 when I caught a scent that made my nostrils flare and my upper lip curl. It reminded me of the odor that filled the house every time my wife ran the self-cleaning program on the oven. Are you sure you don't smell something? I smell it now. What the hell is that stink? Oh no! Faces of the miners around me blanched. I looked at my pa and saw a momentary flicker of fear before he recovered. 
We'll figure it out. Holy crap! We're screwed. Everyone, this way! Everybody with me and follow procedure. We're gonna be fine. We just gotta buy ourselves some time until Hanson gets a deed down here to get us out. Nobody but me had seen the flicker of fear in my pal's eyes. They all nodded and fell into step behind him. But I couldn't ignore the fact that we were going deeper into the mountain, farther away from the surface and clean air with every step. <sighs> so the mine explosion was when, you think? Maybe yesterday. Look, we've started as we've been trained. McElveen and Jerry hung a plastic curtain across the shaft. We had put on emergency oxygen packs, rescuers called them. And over the top of Jerry's, his eyes were wild. His hand shook as he tucked the curtain up as best as he could. You hear that? Yeah. That was my paw. Usually it's ill-advised to start banging like hell on the plates and bolts that support the walls and ceiling of the mine. But this was a special occasion. Anything we could do to get the people above to hear us. By now, there would be a rescue attempt going on. Folks would be looking for some sign of our location. The hammer on metal might be the only way to signal them. Behind Pi was Nielsen. Nielsen sat on the floor against the back of the coal rib with his face covered with that bandana. No rescuer for him. Of the 18 men, only 10 had working oxygen packs. The other rescuers were faulty. The guys who had working oxygen packs were taking turns. Just like they were taking turns with a sledgehammer. Wait, you didn't have enough oxygen packs? <laughs> Makes you sick, doesn't it? These things are meant to save lives. Give us enough air to last until someone could get to us. But nobody ever bothered to test them. <clears throat> it was right around then that Jerry tapped me on the shoulder. He gestured to the plastic curtain they just put up. Cozy, <coughs> yeah, huh? Just like home. <coughs> Uh, yes, home. I've been trying not to think of home. Melissa, Jake. Had they heard the news by now? Would Melissa tell Jake his pa was trapped down in the mine? No way. She wouldn't do that to the kid. But Melissa would be trying to find someone to stay with him so that she could come stand out there at the mouth of the mine, waiting. She wouldn't be there yet, but soon she'd be out there waiting for me. I didn't want to let her down when I thought about leaving her alone, leaving Jake to grow up without his pa. Well, my heart hurt so much I thought I might scream. No, it's better not to think of home. Jeez. So, this plastic curtain, what did it do? Yeah. It created an enclosure about 50 feet square to keep out the methane and God knows what else was out there. It wasn't a lot of room for 18 guys. It wasn't a lot of air either. The guys without working rescuers would suck up the remaining oxygen in no time. I watched my pa slinging the sledgehammer. Pa had come home from the mine every night, black with coal dust and too exhausted to play very much with me. I'd done my damnedest to be different. I'd make time for Jake whenever I could. But even with the best of intentions, well, you fall short. The tree fort wasn't finished yet. Jake had never even asked what would happen if the mine collapsed. At five, the possibility hadn't even occurred to him. Somehow, he'd managed to avoid the fear that lay always beneath the friendly conversation of the entire community. I hadn't been that lucky. I don't remember how old I was when I first asked my pa about what would happen in the cave-in. I'd seen something about it in an old movie on television. Watching pa now, still so strong and grim while closing in on 50, I remember the way he'd softened. He crouched down low to get even with me and ruffled my hair. 
You've got nothing to worry about, Tom Tom. Anything goes wrong down there, the lost miner will get us out. Dad, who's the lost miner? He's the ghost of a miner, maybe your great-grandpappy's age. Back in the real old days. Back in 1941, there was a big explosion down in the pit. And the folks who survived, they say it was a tall, broad-shouldered man who got the timbers out of the way so they could crawl out. No one ever recalls seeing him before or since. Except old Bob Carsey says he bumped into someone once when he got himself turned around and nearly lost forever down there. A big fella with patched up trousers and a real old-fashioned lantern. He got Carsey turned the right direction round and then seemed to just disappear into the mine. Bob called out to him, but he was long gone. They say he's down there waiting, looking to help out miners in trouble if ever they were to call on him. So you hear what I'm saying, son? If there's ever trouble, we'll just call out to the lost miner. Well, I asked my pa to tell that story again and again as I grew up, till by the time I was 11, I realized it was just that. Stories the old-timers tell. And when my pa realized I didn't believe in them anymore, well, it was a hell of a loss for both of us. It was Pa's turn again at the sledgehammer. He turned to glance at Nelson and the others who were without oxygen packs and wiped the sweat from his brow. Pa was no ghost, and he sure weren't lost, but I thought the old man might be our best hope. So I went over to him. <coughs> Pa, have a rest. Let me take a few walks. Just one more, Tommy. I mean it, Pa. All right, then. You all right? I will be. Give it a go, Tom. face, looking for a crack in his mask of confidence and found none. Maybe it was for my benefit, mine and the rest of the crew's, but right then, I thought my pa actually felt confident that even with so little air for so many of us, and with the toxins seeping in around the edges of the curtain, we'd be rescued in no time. Two miles into the mine, out of contact with the surface, and my pa believed in salvation. Blind faith. Hey, Pa. Yeah. You remember the lost miner? Sure I do. I've been thinking about him, too. The, did he have a name? The original guy, I mean. The one who died. Sure. He was a Dutchman, I think they said. Ostergaard. Something like that. Ostergaard. Ostergaard. <laughs> For some reason, just having the name made me feel better. I gripped the handle of the sledgehammer the same way my mind wrapped around the name of the lost miner. Like it was all I had in a bad way. Something I had to hold on to. I swung the hammer against the metal support plate and a clang reverberated up my arms. I barely noticed as my pa walked away. I barely noticed anything. Just enjoyed the simple swing of the hammer. I counted hammer blows to keep my mind busy. At 32, I took a break. Rob McElveen was sprawled on the floor, 
a t-shirt over his face. He looked asleep, dead, but the rise and fall of his chest made it clear he was still breathing. In the flickering light, Nelson had gone awfully pale. He had a rescuer covering his nose and mouth now, getting oxygen, but the way he clutched at his chest, I thought maybe he's having a heart attack. I got to 57 swings of the hammer. Then Jerry Tolan took over. I hesitated, hating the thought of just sitting there, waiting to run out of air. But I could barely lift the hammer anymore. So I staggered to the far wall and sat down. After a few minutes, I tried to offer my oxygen pack to Randy, but the guy waved it away. Randy, come on. Here you go. I just gave up mine a few minutes ago. Besides, you've been trying to signal, working your lungs. Wouldn't be fair to cut you off from air now. <coughs> Crappy day to come into work, huh? <laughs> about the Lost Miner? Sure. Everyone knows that story. Don't grow up with family in the mine and not hear that old tale. So you think it's... it's just a story? Of course it is. Jeez, kid. You better just sit there a bit. Soak up some oxygen. But if the story is based on a real guy who died in the mines, how do we know? Right? I mean, every legend starts somewhere, right? Oh, come on, Tommy. Did you miss the part where the guy died? Nine or ten guys had taken turns with a hammer before. At last, none of them were strong enough to lift it. Jerry and Randy had fallen unconscious. Bob had been in and out for a while. But nobody could wake Randy. We didn't talk much. We wanted to conserve air. What little conversation took place down here in the heart of the mountain was in whispers. Men sharing regrets and fears. Vizialowski talked about the way his drinking had driven his wife Lorraine away and how he would have done it all so differently if he had to do it over. Some of the men were writing notes on scraps of paper from their wallets or on torn pieces of clothing. Just wanted to leave something behind. Some reassurance or farewell or last expression of love. I stared across the small enclosure to my pa. He stared right back never looking at Fizzy who lay with his head in my pa's lap, unmoving. Oh, man. Is he quiet? My pa's grim expression was enough of an answer. None of the others were foolish enough to ask the question. Or perhaps they just didn't want to acknowledge that death was in our midst. Ostergaard! I said the name, heard it echo across stone and the coal rib and the curtain. The men who were left turned to look at me. What's that? The lost miner. We've got a call on him. Nobody else is coming. We're gonna die down here. We don't get some help. Are you freaking sick? We telling ghost stories now? Are you good? Brain damage from the freaking methane? God, God. <laughs> Ostergaard! Ostergaard! You gotta come, man! We need you now, Ostergaard! 
We need your help. We're going to pass down here. Tommy. <laughs> Shut it, boy. I flinched. Hunched down a bit. Pulled the rescuer back over my face. I closed my eyes and whispered the name into my mask. I nodded off, I guess. When I woke, I was suffocating. The oxygen in my rescuer had run out. I tried to roll over and sit up, but my body was slow to respond to my mind. I managed to lull my head off to one side, then prop myself up enough to look around. Back in the day, I used to drink a little, but this wasn't like being drunk. It was more like what it must feel like for people who take too many sleeping pills, or Hollywood types into heavy narcotics. The small space between the curtain and the coal rib seemed to shift and blur. My eyelids felt heavy. Nearby, Randy had curled up into a fetal ball, softly crying. Raymond had sprawled onto the stone floor on the tunnel on his face, breath coming in long, shallow hisses, body twitching. Jerry Tolan sat against the wall with his knees up under his chin, arms draped over his legs. He looked so serious there. It took me a minute to understand that Jerry was dead. Pop! I gazed toward the far wall where my pa had been sitting with Nelson. Someone shifted there in the fading glow of the remaining lights. A hand rose up, my pa, signaling that he had not yet breathed his last. But it wouldn't be long. Whatever rescue might be in the offing, it needed to happen now. The sledgehammer lay on the floor, forgotten. I ran out my tongue to wet my lips, opened my mouth in a last prayer. But instead of Jesus, the name that came out of my mouth was the Lost Miners. Ostergaard. Ostergaard. My eyes were even heavier. I slumped back to the ground as I lay there listening to the silence, feeling the weight of the mountain closing in around me. I knew there would be no rescue. We were alone. Pain began to spread in a band across my chest. Every breath felt more difficult than the last. For several long moments, I succumbed to unconsciousness again. Then, a sound made my eyes flutter open. There was a man standing in the midst of the enclosure. He was dressed in full mining gear, but wore an old-fashioned sort of miner's helmet with a light on the front and a black gas mask beneath it. <laughs> the figure leaned down and touched Randy on the shoulder, and the crying man went silent. And still, no weeping, not so much as a shudder of breath. And then, the strange figure, the cold, smeared silhouette, began to move through the enclosure, pausing to reach down a comforting hand to the other men. As he passed amongst them, almost seemed to float and the edges of the figure blurred like like heat haze over summer blacktop and when he touched them one by one they became still as the lost miner moved toward the 
cold rib toward the place where I see my pa raise one weakened hand. I closed my eyes. I heard a rattling hiss of breath. And then, nothing. go? He just up and vanished. He was there, right? You saw him. He told us his story. You were sitting right there with me, Cassie. I was. Uh, Mr. Gussie? What? The book. We still don't have it, do we? <coughs> the book? Oh, jeez. Usually my right about now. Hell on wheels. How are we gonna get out of here without it? There's a light down there. Yeah, yeah. We should go. Cassie, look, if anything happens... Let's just go, Mr. Gussie. One thing at a time. All right. Oh, look, look. There's that plastic divider we heard about. And uh, there's a man inside. They're dead! They're all... Shh, shh, girl, girl, this is a gravesite. Best not to disturb them. Mr. Gussie, look. It's him! Ostergaard! Hey, Ostergaard! We're just witnesses of the story. You have no dominion over us, you hear? Dominion? What What do you mean, dominion? Shush, shush, shush. I, I, uh, uh, compel you. Show us the way out of here. Give us our book back. We are not a sacrifice to your mind. Mr. Gussie, I, I don't I don't like this. The other stories, they didn't... Uh, I, I didn't think maybe... Wait, uh, wait, hold on a moment. There, on the wall. What? Someone's carved something. There's not much light left, but, but I can almost make it out. It... it Reads. Breathe my name. Breathe my name. Ostergaard. Ostergaard. Settle down there, son. He's awake. He's awake. He's awake. Give him more oxygen. Come on. All right. Relax now. Relax. Calm down. Calm down. That's it. That's it. Just breathe easy. All right. Ironic, isn't it? I mean, the only reason he had enough oxygen down there is because the other guys died first. That makes me sick thinking of it. Well, he got lucky. Screwed up kind of way. Uh huh. All those poor bastards. If they'd lived any longer, you wouldn't have made it either. <laughs> Babe, you all right? <laughs> Babe? Uh, yeah. Me? I'm fine. You look like you're in a trance. I was just looking at Jake playing in the sprinkler. <laughs> Cacking like a lunatic. <laughs> June came fast, didn't it? Yes. It did. Hey, I brought you a beer. Thanks. <sighs> Dinner will be ready in a little while. <laughs> you should get Jake in here. Get him in something dry. You got it. You sure you're okay? You're not still having waking nightmares. Are you, Tommy? Just a little tired. Catch you in a minute, okay? Okay. <laughs> oh, 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 all over me. You're soaked, Jake. 
Look, Mom wants you to put something dry on. She's gonna want you to put something dry on, too. No doubt. Come here, bud. Close, <laughs> 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 Jakey. I can do it. I'll get him. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> it's been so good for him having you home for a while. It's been good for you, too. Yeah. I'll serve up. Come out. I see you there. We we weren't trying to hide it or anything. They made it out of the mine? Yeah. Took a bit of doing. You saw all that? You saw Melissa, huh? huh? There's so many thoughts I might have shared with her. But I've never been that kind of man. <laughs> Just like my pa, I guess. Yeah, huh? I don't want to tell her how being home with Jake makes it easier to deal with my pa's death. And maybe it makes it harder, too. I just want every moment home with them. Because the doctor was clear about the prognosis. Another week, two at most, and I'll have to be back at work. I'll go back into the mine. <laughs> Check it out, Pa, my new bulldozer t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, buddy. And now, dinner. <laughs> you see the stuff on his shirt? Bulldozers? Yeah, but also a crane. Kid's been talking about construction non-stop for weeks. Melissa thinks maybe he wants to build stuff. Me? I want him to go to college. No one in my family has ever been to college. But that's what I want for him. Somewhere far away from West Virginia. Far away from the mine. Of course, college costs a lot of money, don't it? Nobody in the Betts family had ever gotten that kind of education. Hell, I was the first one to finish high school. We're a mining family. It might be hard for you to understand. The odds are against us being anything different. So that means that tonight, before bed, I'm going to tell Jake the first of the stories. Oh, I've told my son stories almost every night the past couple of months. All kinds of stories. But starting tonight, from time to time, I'll include the tale of the ghost of a lost miner named Ostregard. I'll tell him the best I can, make them as real as possible. It won't be difficult. <laughs> Jake loves ghost stories. But I have to make absolutely certain that he believes. Just in case. That's right. The old oak table's right here, just where we left it. And the book. That's right. The book didn't go nowhere. Look at that. What? There's coal dust on you. Right up underneath your fingernails. Yeah, a little souvenir, I suppose. So, is that what you wanted? Did the tome answer some question for you? In, in a manner of speaking, yes. Yes? Yes what? Oh, well, it's a little hard to explain. You know, uh, you know what happened to me. You had a wife. Something happened to her. That's all I know. She was pregnant. Uh, she was getting pretty depressed. Started taking a lot of pills. <sighs> finally, hanged herself in the bathroom. That was uh, April 10th, 1980. I've been looking for her, for them, ever since. So, you thought the Dark Tome could somehow lead you to them? Well, think about it, Cassie. It's obvious. The Dark Tome opens other worlds. I just need to get to a world where they're alive. Where the sleeping pills didn't wreck her mind. 
All I've learned is that things are getting more dangerous, Mr. Gussie. We were down in that mine. I was worried we might not make it out. I think... I, I think it's possible that we could get stuck in one of these stories, or... Or, or maybe worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's all you have to say? I told you you was trifling with something powerful. But you said you're up for the job. You telling me you're not? I don't know. It's that Mr. Catter, isn't it? George Jenkins Catter Jr. His dad and me were buddies growing up. His family still thinks the ill that befell his pa was my doing. It was not, I assure you. He was a fool who wanted to spend the night up in Derry. Now look, I can see it in you, Cassie. You felt the power, haven't you? Yes, I have. You need to be careful. You might be learning something from this book, but you still don't know what you don't know. Ugh! Hey, Cassie, where are you going? To get some fresh air. When San Francisco is rocked by a series of brutal slayings, the case falls to homicide detectives Brian Clouser and his partner Pookie Chang. It falls to them because Brian is always first on the scene, driven there by dreams that predict the killings in exquisite detail. Meanwhile, a shadowy vigilante, seemingly armed with superhuman powers, is out there killing the killers. Brian and Pookie's superiors, from the mayor on down, seem strangely eager to keep the detectives from discovering the truth. Doubting his own sanity and stripped of his badge, Brian begins to suspect that he stumbled into the crosshairs of a shadow war that has gripped his city for more than a century. A war waged by a race of killers living in San Francisco's unknown underground ruins, emerging at night to feed on those who will not be missed. Nocturnal is a complete serialized novel with 45 episodes available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to The Dark Tome, a Degas media production presented by Realm, produced by Fred Greenhalge and William DeFries. Full cast and crew credits, behind-the-scenes photos, and transcripts at thedarktome.com. That's thedarktome.com.